First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I go over the Sixers thrilling but disappointing loss to the Boston Celtics. Going over what worked for the Sixers, what didn't, and what kind of chance the Sixers would have if these two teams met in the playoffs. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bonner, joined by Rich Hoffman to talk about yet another game that went down to the wire. This one might be mildly more frustrating than the last one we talked about. How you doing, Rich? Derek, I'm doing fine, and I think I'm doing better than most Sixers fans on this morning, and we'll talk about it on the, the pod. I mean, I'm not as emotionally invested in the game, but just a little little bit of a teaser there for everybody. Yeah, I think, I think I'm probably in the same boat. I was a little surprised by some of the reaction, but we'll get to that in a minute. So obviously we have the Sixers 110-107 loss to the Boston Celtics to talk about, in which Jason Tatum hit a very well-contested game-winning three, and Joel Embiid hit a game-tying three about a second too late, which would have changed the discussion a little bit. Still a fantastic moment, but you really knew, like, right when he let it go, it was too late. And most importantly, Joel Embiid knew, because that ball went in, and he didn't even really react. You could tell right away. He just started walking off the court. Yeah, and I knew, you knew, like, we we could see in the background that he just did not get that off in time. That said, because I think we knew it didn't go in, I don't think I fully appreciated the moment. Even so, even if that was, you know, three-tenths of a second late, which felt like a minute late in in real time, was not actually that close to uh, being being good. I'm not sure we appreciate it. What a shot. Holy shit. And at first it went through, and like, because of where we are, it's sometimes tough to gauge depth, which makes it real fun analyzing a game. But you couldn't tell what exactly whether or not it went through or it just hit the front of the, the net. Uh, but you could tell by the fan reaction that it went in, but you could tell by Joel's reaction. He didn't get it off in time. And yeah. What a and, for every, and for everybody listening, we sit right behind the basket. He he shot that at, like he shot that straight in our line. And it was, I mean, I actually saw some of the Celtics writers, I think we're head video from, you know, a couple rows behind us. And I, I just watched the, you know, the combination of the Tatum shot and the Embiid shot. Wow. wow what an atmosphere. Holy, yeah. holy yeah. crap. And yeah. and the whole arena went crazy and I felt bad for them in real time. Cause I was just looking at everybody. Just, it was like half delirium, half disbelief. Like people couldn't believe it. And I was, I felt very bad for, I'm going to say at least half the crowd, 10,000 people 
losing their minds because there was no way that was good. <laughs> yeah. It was quite the game, though. A, a game. I mean, we, we've been talking about it recently a lot here where it's a game of runs and that can color how you view a game. The Sixers obviously got out there to that big third quarter lead and then watched it all windle away. And then they came back and had a, a game right down the stretch. Tied it up there in the last minute. Tatum, who had been off most of the night, made that big shot. It was a fantastic game. And it's a kind of game where me as an analyst, you go, yes, please give me seven more of those. Some Sixers fans might question whether you would get seven. That's fine. I get a little bit of the doomsday outlook. But like you said, we get to take a little bit of a step back and say, all right, but what do we actually take away from this game? So I guess we will start off there. You had a, a game where, I mean, is that as good? I, I, I guess you could go back to that year that they played in the playoffs without Ben, but that is as good as Joel Embiid has ever looked against that team. As good as he has ever looked against mm. Al Horford. I'm not, I'm not sure it's the best he ever looked. Remember the 2021 year? year without Simmons in the, in the bubble. Yeah. No, no, no. No, the year after that, where oh, okay. the Sixers were the one seed. And some of those regular season games, Embiid was given Boston the work. Remember there was a, yeah. I believe there was a back-to-back at, at home. But y- your point taken, Horford was not on the Celtics at that time. Right. The Celtics were not this fully formed behemoth yet. So, And we I, know I he agree. can dominate Daniel Tice. We know that. Yeah, and and Rob Williams too. Yeah. Rob Williams was playing back then. Okay, but I'm sorry, I interrupted you, and you're right. I don't think I've ever seen Joel play like that against the, the elite Boston team of the Boston Celtics. Yeah, with Horford on the team, and that that brings up a pretty good point because so many people are like, "Oh, well, you know, you lost to that team. How are we ever going to beat that team?" And it goes to show you, like you talked about it a couple years ago, where they did beat them a lot in the regular season. That doesn't mean you have confidence because what happens now isn't going to ch- really change your confidence level in the playoffs too drastically. Certainly not how a, a three or a six point swing in either direction. Like We'll get to that. That's the end of the podcast. What was your, sort of like your, your high level takeaways from, uh, from that game? Real quick, you're right, though. Uh, the year the Sixers lost in the bubble, they were up three zip on the Celtics in the regular season series. And we saw how that doesn't matter. And that's sort of like my, my point. Like if, if if, let's say Al Horford misses one of those shots and the Sixers have a chance to win it in regulation, nothing else about the game changes. Are you really going to feel that much differently? Probably not because you're going to look at some of the the problems that the Sixers had in, in in their depth and in other things that we'll get to in a minute. You'll say, ah, I don't trust that over a seven game series. I do think people are overreacting to the specific, not necessarily the details of the game, but the specific outcome, because even a win wasn't going to change your confidence level in a playoff series. Yep. Uh, so specific takeaways. I'm going to start with one positive and one negative, and I'll let you choose which one we talk about first. The first takeaway is what we already talked about, and that is a positive one, and that is that Joel Embiid was awesome, and it did not look like a fluke at all against, against the Celtics. He was, he talked about it after the game. He was decisive. He was not waiting for them to double team. He was physical. He was driving that ball right through Grant Williams and Al Horford. He got to the line 18 times, and this was not, you know, I know the, the Celtics people on Twitter, this was not foul merchant shit, man. Like, he was earning these free throws. I mean, you even look down the stretch of that game and beat twice, one on Grant Williams and one on Jalen Brown on a switch. They hammered him. Like, he got such good position against them yeah. and was so decisive. They, these guys were like, all right, we have to foul this guy or or he's going to score two points on us. Um, 
Joel was awesome, and I was happy to see, even though he has his melodramatic moment where he says, story of my life, after he misses the, uh, or the shot does not count, he was positive. He was not the roller coaster Joel where, oh, we lost the Celtics, doom and gloom, this is never going to happen for us, where I think he rightfully pointed out that was a positive step for me against this team. I was decisive, and, and that worked out. So that's the positive one. The negative one is that the Sixers bench, I, I'm pausing for a second. I don't know how to put it correctly. That was as big of a mismatch as it, as it gets. And it, it was that their bench was absolutely awesome. And that includes the fact that we're, at, we're including Tyrese Maxey in that bench unit now. And the Sixers bench was terrible. And we can get to the entire bench, but you just said it. The big picture thought is we always talk about you know, because because people after the game's like, oh no, the bench sucks again. It's horrible. The, the bench is different now. That your third best player or your third most important player is on the bench, and he sucked. So, you know, I think that is another reason why I think this is different. Um, so those are kind of my two big thoughts. Where where do you want to go to first? I don't want to start off talking about George Niang and Paul Reed. So let's go to Joe. Okay, so Joe. Um, I thought, like like you said, his decisiveness um, against them, I I thought it was good in that he mentioned like a lot of times he waits for the double team against the Celtics, and he didn't do that in last night's game. He had three turnovers, I believe, to, was it, five assists, I believe? And I think the, the positive part of this is how many times over the years have we just seen Embiid run out of gas late? The Celtics doubles getting to him, him throwing a pick six. I know he had the one where Jalen Brown snuck behind him and got the steal, but the Sixers won the turnover battle last night. Embiid got to the free throw line a bunch. So I saw, you know, a very positive game and not in like a, oh, Joel was making shots. Like that was like gritty. He was getting to the basket. And my takeaway is if they play this team in a playoff series and he plays with that level of decisiveness and that level of force, I think he's going to be pretty successful. I'm not sure, yeah. you know, is is he going to have the exact game he had last night? I'm not sure. But if you have Joel Embiid playing at that level, you have the best player on the floor, and, and he was the best guy on the floor last night. No, yeah. no question. And when you have the best player on the floor, and it wasn't even like, you know, condolences to Jalen Brown, but like it wasn't even close. Like he was the best, most consistent player from minute one to minute 48 on the floor. And you're right. He was decisive, and Boston didn't really know how to handle that. And even when they dug down, the Sixers cut off of that, and Joe found cutters to the, with Tobias, like two straight possessions. Couple great and both passes. of those are incredible signs when you're talking about finding a way to beat this team over a seven-game series. I don't think Boston, at any point throughout that game, had an answer for Joel Embiid. And it's even with someone in Al Horford, who earlier in Joe's career was sort of like his kryptonite. And I don't know how frequently we can say that. And I'm not sure that's going to be an easy fix for Boston to remedy in a seven-game series. And again, whenever you have a player at an MVP level, who the other team doesn't really know how they're going to contain, you have a chance. And when we get closer to that playoff series, we can talk about how much that chance is. But he gives you a, a, a chance where if you do, if things break right for you, you can pull off that series win. I think that was huge. He was incredible. And especially for him to come back after that Memphis game, where he was dominant defensively, to come out there and completely control the game on offense 
He's playing really good. Bat- I'm breaking news. Runner up in MVP is playing really good basketball, but he's playing <laughs> really good winning basketball that I think you can project forward to the playoffs in a big way, a big way. Shout out to worldwide Wob who he tweeted this and he was absolutely right. I think he was like in the sands of time, this Embiid stretch will get lost, but he has that stretch at the end of the game where I think it was like a little over a minute left, two minutes left, whatever. Embiid hits a pull-up jumper, a tough one, right in Horford's grill. Runs back on defense. Jalen Brown off a uh, you know off a slip screen, basically gets a wide open layup. Embiid meets him at the rim yeah. to block the shot. And I didn't see this live, Derek. He tips the ball in like as he's falling down. He tips the ball straight to Harden. It was not an easy play at all. Harden hits the Maxi on the hit ahead. And the Sixers actually take a one-point lead yeah. in that game. We talked about the roar of the crowd on on Thursday's game. That was the same thing. I know it didn't end up the way that the crowd wanted it to be, but just like we're seeing Embiid put a lot of these moments together where in the most important times of games, he is showing up in a big way. And yeah. what's been the knock on him his whole career is that, you know, in the playoffs, he hasn't been the same. He hasn't been, you know, the the regular season MVP. I don't know. I, we can't see what's going to happen in the playoffs until it actually happens. By the way, that's a big theme of this podcast. But as far as signs go, the, the fact that against the best teams in the biggest moments, he looks like he's very much up to the task. Yeah. I, yep. I, I really was really um, impressed with how Joel played. Re- awesome game from him. Yeah. And that, I, I really, if if they just, one or two shots go a different way. I think that's the overriding theme of not only this podcast, but also of Sixers Twitter. So I guess now we have to pivot to the other side. Overall, the starting lineup was a plus eight in 23 minutes. So about half the game, they were plus eight. Means they were negative 11 in pretty much every other minute that the starting lineup wasn't on the floor. That bench unit, what was the... The, what was it? It was Harden and Maxi, McDaniels, Niang, yeah. and Reed. Negative 14 in a five-minute run. Uh-oh. Yeah. It wasn't even really an all-bench unit. It was what you came in the season with as your two starting guards. And, you know, you have it where Maxi <laughs> is, I think this is a tough matchup for him. Now, Maxi's also struggling and maybe he's going through some confidence things that you don't expect. He'll hopefully be better in the playoffs, but I think this is a tough matchup for him because of Boston's size on the perimeter. And George is pretty much unplayable, especially if he's not just draining every catch-and-shoot three he has. And you're talking about your sixth and seventh man who's a tough fit against the squad. Yeah. I didn't really have a question. I guess I was just kind of leading you in there. No, it, it's it's a fact of, of life, and it's why the Celtics are the best team in the league yeah? because they have starter-level players coming off the bench. And the Sixers have to play well because like, they, they have to button up some of these things. And I I would say this is why it's different, though. Their, their bench in past years is like, can Mike Scott and James Ennis play? No, no. Their bench right now is Tyrese Maxey, who needs to be better. And after the game, Embiid mentioned this, so I, I don't feel out of school talking about it, in the locker room, and Bede had, I think, like a 15-minute conversation with Maxi on, and it wasn't 
negative. It wasn't like negative. It was like, hey, here are the things you might have to do to to get better shots because both Embiid and Doc Rivers said after the game, we need him to be better, and we're not even blaming him really. We're just saying, yeah. as a team, we need to get him going. You know, Embiid says he'll be fine, and Doc says. Sometimes you force a shots, which, you know what, the way he's not really touching the ball, I can't even blame him at this point. So it was very much a, like, put your arm around the kid type of game. But let's be real. Like, if Tyrese is is that bad, the Sixers probably aren't going to beat the Celtics. And Joel said it. He looked a little bit like rookie Tyrese Maxey. Yep. Where the three-pointer's not going in. He missed some shots at the rim he usually makes. Didn't get to the free throw line, and next thing you know, he's settling for pull-up jumpers. And it was like sort of like all of those things that he'd improved upon weren't there last night. And have been hit or miss throughout this stretch when he's been coming off the bench. Some pretty good highs, but hit or miss during this stretch. And they need to find a way to get him consistently back to where he was at the end of last year, which included playing alongside of James Harden a lot. And he seemed a little more comfortable last year at this time playing alongside of Harden. Then he current well not technically because Harden hadn't made his debut and you know what the heck I meant. He seemed more <laughs> comfortable eleven months ago playing alongside Harden than he does right now. And they need to get that rhythm back so that he's getting those good shots. So he's using that attention Harden receives to attack closeouts off a of dribble. They need to get his prone jump shot back. And they just they need him to be more aggressive. I do agree. Like it's not even like a shot total. Like he got ten shots in twenty five minutes or whatever. Like, you just didn't feel him. Yeah. Yeah. You, other teams have to feel him with his speed and, and the pressure he puts on the defense. And, and I think you're right. The only chemistry he has with Harden right now is, unfortunately, those hit-ahead passes yeah. when there's like a scramble loose ball. Okay, Harden will throw it ahead to him and they'll score a layup. Problem with that is they have to get a stop. Yeah. <laughs> Which doesn't always happen. Was, look, they, they were okay last night defensively. I, I The Celtics' shot making was excellent, I thought. It was. Outside of Tatum. Outside of the threes. The- until the the final part. I mean, what are you saying? The Sixers shot making was excellent? No, the Boston. They, they, they gave, the Sixers a, gave up too many threes. Too many open threes. Too many open threes. I, I agree. Uh, but, you know, even I watched a couple of those Horford ones. I would say three of them were wide open and he can't do that. Two of them were like, oh, man. He, and a lot of that was just Joel helping off. He like, took a transition three where, like, he caught it and fired it real quick. I'm thinking, like. He's making that shot shit. Yeah. That's that's gonna be tough. Uh we'll get to that in a second. Because I got some I got some Al Horford thoughts. But yeah, I think one of the things over the last 20 games is that whether Maxi is starting or coming off the bench, whatever it is, he needs to be physically part of the half court offense. Like, fine. There is a Joel Embiid, James Harden pick and roll. There is an isolation aspect with those two guys. They can run their own plays with Tobias. They can run the horn set, whatever. Tyrese needs to be a consistent part, and it needs to just feel more organic because against Boston, that's a bad matchup. Whenever he plays, and he played down the stretch, so you know Melton was not setting the world on fire either, he's going to get hunted by them defensively. They, They are going to use him in screening actions to put the Sixers in bad spots, and that's something that they're going to have to live with. But for the Sixers to compete against that team, he's got to give them back some points on the yeah. other end. And they're just not they're just not feeling them as much as uh would happen. So for me, that's one of the biggest things that can be corrected. Like as much as Boston is a bad matchup for him, as much as Derek White is a killer and just like a playoff big game player, 
to me, I just feel like there are ways to get Maxi more involved. There are ways to get him easier shots and keep him part of the offense, and that's really important for the Sixers moving forward. So that's that's one big thing because he was bad. The bench was bad, but he was bad, and he is the easiest option where I can say, okay, he can be better than that. Yeah. Maybe not having the confidence to be better, specifically against that squad. And the Sixers, and Doc Rivers pretty much limited to an eight-man rotation. You know, you had your five starters, and then you had, well, he tried to go four with Paul Reed. Uh, but then you had, you know, George, Tyrese, McDaniels. They were your three consistent bench players and Paul Reed for that five-minute stretch we talked about. McDaniels didn't set the world on fire, not even close to it. Uh, but you figure he will be in the rotation against that squad no matter what. Got to play what somebody. You, yeah. What do you do with George and Paul and the backup center in general? Because I don't think Dwayne Denvin's fixing it against that team. It's tough, right? And I think this is where George's limitations come into play. And he was trying to get back in transition to stop <laughs> Jalen Brown, and it could not have been. It was sort of funny, if I'm being honest, because like. He's sitting there like it feels like a like a junk ball pitcher trying to get any kind of grease on his finger. He was trying to grab him in any way to slow him down just a little bit, and he just couldn't do it. So I think George is going to have to play some minutes. They just don't have enough bodies that can play. But as you pointed out after last night's game, you might have to be judicious with it. You might have to see if he has the shot working early on, and it. At times, it can be tough for him to have the shot because this team switches, and creating those advantages are a little tougher. They they force Harden, Maxi, and Bede to beat them one on one. Not to say that he didn't have a couple of good looks last night; he did. Uh, but yeah, it's it's definitely a tough matchup for him. Now, I will say, in fairness to George, I, I think he's playable against I don't know twenty seven other teams, twenty eight teams. It, it's just that that is. The hardest matchup in the league, not just for the Sixers, for everybody, but definitely for the Sixers. And I think we saw the issues with it. So I, I don't know what to do because at some point you're going to have to play more than six dudes because the backup center answer is easy. You play PJ. Yeah. Now, I, I would have liked them to stagger PJ. Like PJ played a good chunk of his minutes with Embiid. Play fewer of those minutes with Embiid and play, you know, those five Paul Reed minutes just can't happen like that's got to be yeah. pj at center minutes and you know i sort of understood it in the start the second quarter when they went to that lineup and i was all right let's see if this can work i was a little surprised when i went back to the mcdaniels george reed front court in the fourth quarter because of how poorly it went in the first half uh and i mean doc only put it out there for 70 seconds but those were 70 crucial seconds like that was a five zero run now granted it was like there was a, a boston run before and after that so it's not like it was just that but I think that was a front court where you sort of saw it wasn't going to work. And you couldn't really play, you know, Tucker anymore. Like, P.J. Tucker played 38 minutes last night. You weren't going to play him longer than that. He is, you know, you, there's only so much you can ask out of, what is he, 37? It's just that I would have staggered it differently so you didn't have to rely on Paul Reed. And after the game, Doc Rivers pretty much said, like, hey, we want, like, why he didn't have Paul Reed out there. We want veterans out there. I don't think that equation is going to change here in the playoffs. I think it's going to be P.J. Tucker's spot as a, a small ball center. And if that doesn't work, my hunch is it's, it's probably going to lean on Deadman a little bit. Not that I think that's the answer against this team. But you need P.J. at five, and I thought they needed to stagger it a little more aggressively. Um, so, so what you're saying is put McDaniels in a little earlier for P.J. 
or George. Like, I think more of George's minutes need to come with Embiid on the floor. Okay. If, yeah. if you're going to try to sneak a couple minutes with George on there, I think it has to be with Embiid. In part because I think he plays well off Embiid offensively, and in part because you need Joe's defense there. Yeah, and you can have him as the the entry passer to Embiid, yeah. where, you know, if the Celtics double down, George can either read it where he's a good entry passer, he's much better than most players on this team at it, that's that's something that, that he provides, where he can either make the cut that Tobias made, or he can shoot the three, and, you know, he's probably not going to try and finish like Tobias, but... Then you draw another help defender, kick for a three, and, you know, you got some pretty good offense going. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a really good thought. And, you know, in some ways, Doc coached that like a regular season game, and you would hope in yep. the playoffs he's a little more pragmatic with how it goes. Uh, B-Ball Paul, I don't think this is the matchup for him. That said, part of the reason it was not the matchup for him last night is that Harden was not very good in those minutes. He wasn't. wasn't. And, and you're asking a lot of James Harden. I uh, thought uh, Kyle Newbeck a couple couple days ago pointed this out and and it was a, a good point Harden this year I think he's improved by 14 points per 100 in the non-embed minutes over last season so he's really made a lot of strides yep. to the point where now he's a positive which is the whole game if the Sixers are positive in the non-embed minutes they're cooking do you know what the, the Sixers were a plus 20 in 33 minutes with the meeting Harden on the floor last night in a three-point loss they were a plus 20 in two thirds of the game. Yeah. And, and let's, we don't need to harp on the bench anymore. Like they, they were bad and the Sixers need to figure some stuff out, but it's also going to be hard because the Celtics, the, the other issue with it is Brogdon and Derek white. They're really good. Really good. And How you, you can just see it. It reminded me of the first is, game. Yeah. Remember the first game of the season when they were blown by Melton? It was the same thing. Melton can't yeah. guard either. Those guys one-on-one. <laughs> Which is an issue, especially when they go five out and space the floor. When Embiid's like, "Oh shit, do I have to help off Horford or not?" It's just, yeah, they they cause some legitimate problems, and they got both of those guys for pretty cheap. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, look, everyone's been sitting around here for his whole career waiting for Brogdon's knees to blow up. Well, until that actually happens, he's a pretty damn good basketball player, and the Celtics got him pretty cheap. I think White was a really good addition to them, and you're, I mean, you're talking about minutes where Tatum and Brown are off the floor. And you're still sitting there going, oh my God, how do we guard this team? It's a really good team. They've, they've, they've <laughs> They're be- terrific. Like, they've beaten 44 teams, or 44 games at least this year. Uh, losing by three is not cause for panic. Brogdon was two of six from the field. That, that's one of the best two of six from the field yeah. performances I've ever seen. Like He just was putting the Sixers in pressure just the entire time he was in the game. And White's numbers actually showed how good he was. That guy is a freaking gamer. Sixers had a lot of trouble. One small thing. Those Spain pick and rolls, they had a lot of trouble with those with the Celtics. Celtics were getting kind of whatever they wanted on that. So, look, that's okay. That's something that in a playoff matchup, hopefully, you'll settle on an actual strategy, and that's not something that could continually beat you yeah. the same way five straight games. Um, I think you made a good point. I think Doc, at least his initial way he went about this, was it's a regular season game. Defend it like it, his rotation like a regular season game maybe adjusted quicker than he would have on most nights, but came into it with a regular season game plan in the playoffs. I think that game plays out differently from both sides, obviously. Uh, but I think these Sixers go about it differently. Let's talk about another takeaway from the game. And this is, this is a positive one. The marathon man is, is showing fantastic. that it's a marathon and not a sprint. Yeah. Good way to tie that together. I like that. That was a hundred percent true. And he's looked better here over the last couple of weeks, but the, and 
I feel like this is the second time now we've said this recently. That was where you go, oh yeah, PJ Tucker's a freaking pain in the ass. And you mean it in the most positive way possible. He was an absolute pain, especially in that first half. You know, he ended up with what, I think like 11 boards and seven points. He we almost had a double-double. We, well, we did mention at that time, like he might have seven and 11 going into halftime, but there's no guarantee he gets that double-double. <laughs> he ended up sticking with seven points. That being said, he was fantastic. The floorboards, the effort, the hustle, keeping possessions alive. He was really, really good. Really good. Like if, if we fret a lot about what he did for, you know, a month and a half, two months where he might've had weeks where he didn't score seven points, but if he is effective over that playoff stretch, he's worth his contract. And that was one of the games where you go, okay, if that's the way he's going to dial it up, he looks like he's moving better. He looks like he's shooting better. If that's what you get from him, fine, fine. He has a very, maybe you wish you didn't have to play him 38 minutes and that goes to the bench thing. But he was, he had to be in that rotation for that game. Had to. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABASKETBALL and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic. Plus, up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TABASKETBALL. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game. Claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. 1-800-327-5050 Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas, Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at one 866 to speak to an advisor free of charge. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, and Utah, and other states where prohibited. Promotional offers not available in Nevada and New York. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABASKETBALL and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic Plus up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager. We were laughing. He missed the one layup at the end of the first half where he missed by a mile. Some some weird layup shooting in last night's game, by the way. Jalen Brown was Harden awesome, Harden but he was very one. off. Harden was, oof, yeah. Uh, and Maxi was just missing in agonizingly close ways. But yeah, PJ missed the one by a mile and then he grabbed the rebound. And I was thinking, man, he's, he's padding his stats right now. This is Moses Malone stuff without the actual <laughs> scoring on the second half of it. Uh, yeah, he was terrific. And I go back to, uh, I was watching just randomly the, when LeBron does the, I think it's called the shop where he sits around with famous people and 
you know, they sometimes it's basketball people, sometimes it's you know, comedians, actors, musicians, whatever. Anyway, PJ was randomly on it and it was LeBron, PJ and Draymond Green and Draymond was talking about man, I the problem is I'm always up for the playoff games, but I am so bad when I'm playing a Tuesday night against <laughs> in February against some bad team. And I just don't have the focus. And PJ was like, this is before this season even started. He he was like, dude, I totally agree. I stink against a bad team when there's no stakes. And I just wonder, since we have seen the schedule ramp up, since we have seen these tougher games, PJ has looked better. I, I wonder if there is something to that where maybe we just like when he's with the Bucks or the Heat, we don't notice him coasting against OKC yes. in January. Because he is stacking up positive efforts against good teams. Denver, Boston, Memphis. Like he is most of his better games this season are coming against the best teams the Sixers are playing. And to me, that's a good sign because they are really banking on him being a 16 game player, not an 82 game player, but from the backup center looking okay to just his hustle and, and his pain in the ass PJ Tucker plays to he's actually making a couple threes. Now he's being a little more aggressive. He's still passing up a couple more than I, I thought, but he isn't the quickest trigger shooter. I uh, I think the Sixers should be really happy with how he looks right now. He looks like a dude who, who can hang in yeah. pretty much any series. Because if you can hang against that team, I think you can hang against anybody. Yeah. No, I think that's fair. And he, he certainly looks like he's more dialed in. He also had a dead hand there for a couple months. So, you know, that could have factored in. He did fall on <laughs> and was shaking his hand at one point. It was his left hand, so maybe not quite as big of a concern. But maybe if his hand isn't dead, that might help him improve basketball. But he certainly, just from an effort perspective, looks uh, way more dialed in than he was in November, for sure. What do you make of the starters? You mentioned that they had a ton of success. What what were you seeing that kind of led to that, you thought? Well, Joel's good. Helps. Tobias had a a, a good game and was playing well off of Joel. Tobias had a real good defensive game, too. Which, you know, on the one hand, it's great that Tobias has been able to ramp up against Ja down the stretch the other night. It's great that he was able to give you that game there against the Celtics, but you probably would like to be in a spot where you're not relying on Ja or on, on Tobias to guard Ja and Tatum, but he did a really good job in those two matchups. You know, they made their threes. Like, I don't have the starting numbers in front of me, but I think that starting lineup made their threes, and when you have Embiid dominating inside and forcing rotations and your spot-up shooters are making their spot-up shots, and they defended their asses off, and, you know, Tatum struggled a little bit. Like, they outclassed the Celtic starters for most of the night. It was, a, it was a good performance. Probably helped a little bit by the fact that Tatum was off, but it was a, good, a very good performance. They made the Celtics starting lineup, and the Celtics starting lineup has not been there for most of the year. As good as the Celtics are, they win with depth and a couple guys out, even to a greater extent than the Sixers do. That was their full-strength team last night, and their starting lineup with the two bigs with Robert well, we know, Williams. We know the, the Celtics not having their full strength team can beat the Sixers too. Yeah, which is why <laughs> when that happened, the Sixers are lucky the trade de- deadline happened the next day because that would not have been a very positive podcast because that was kind of a BS performance. This is different. They had their full strength team, and the Sixers made them think. Like the Sixers made them say, "Ooh, we this too big lineup that kind of carried us to the finals last year." Uh, uh-uh. uh, that yeah. doesn't work. Jo- Joel can help off those guys. Maxi can hide on smart yeah. a little bit. They're the Sixers like actually 
made Joe Missoula make some adjustments and, and made them sweat. And I, I do think that is a decent sign moving forward. Um, to me, also, the last takeaway for me is a negative one. And it's something we've talked about a lot. The most effective play in basketball is when the Sixers get up 15 points in the third quarter. Usually James Harden or Tyrese Maxey makes a three. The crowd's going nuts. Harden's, you know, pumping up the crowd. The most effective play in the entire NBA is the other coach going timeout. Yeah. Because when that happens, the Sixers lose focus. They do. And they do it against every team. And we talk about it where they let go of the rope and let the other team back into the game because they relax. They fucked around and they finally ran into a team that's good enough to make them find out. Yep. And that's one thing where you look at the schedule and how tough it is. And maybe they need this to kind of smack them back into reality that, yeah, you can do that against some of the other teams, but you can't do that against Milwaukee or Denver or Boston and get away with it. And maybe the stretch here and even that loss here last night can uh, knock some common sense back into them for sure. All those kind of sad post-game press conferences, these takeaways that Maxi needs to be better. What, what are the Sixers going to do? Doom and gloom. You don't want those to happen. When they call timeout in that spot, don't relax because you're playing against the best team in the league. Continue yeah. to grind out possessions and play efficient basketball. And they didn't do that. And they got hit with a 43 to 18 yeah. run, which, look, the Sixers need that. This is not, I know every team gives up runs. The three point shot is the great equalizer, all of those things. And Bede admitted it after the game. We've relaxed. We stopped playing with the same level of force. I agree. We see that all the time, too. Yep. Stop doing that. <laughs> Especially stop doing that against the best team in the league. Put yeah. them away. Yeah. E- when you get up 15 and they call timeout, it's not a rule that you have to stop trying harder afterwards. You don't get more points for that. And they had such good effort up to that point, too. Like their <laughs> effort was outstanding. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's all. I mean, yeah, just don't lose focus. And I will give the Sixers credit because they were down a- after... Yep. As you said, fucking around and finding out. They found out in a big way. They're down 10 points with six minutes left. They take the lead in that game. So yeah. good for them. Like, they, they didn't let go of the rope completely. And I thought they showed a decent amount of character where they could have just folded it in and said, okay, not our night or whatever. And they gave us those great moments down the stretch where, you know, people are analyzing what they should have done against Tatum. Did PJ help too far against, uh, off Horford on that one play? Answer, yes. But all of those things, like the Sixers were able, and Embiid specifically, was able to just claw them back into the game. And that was a positive sign, which is why I'm not going to completely kill them. But when you're up 15 in the third quarter, hey, try and go up 25. Just try. <laughs> yeah. Give it a you shot. Know what? See what happens. Because yeah. you know what's going to happen, probably, is that the other team's going to try harder, and they're going to play better. But if you try to go up 25, maybe it'll just stay at 15 for the rest of the quarter, and you're in a good spot instead of trailing 10 minutes later. That's all. Okay. I agree. All right. So we add all of that up and there's a lot of panic in Sixers. And look, I don't want to tell you how to react because I think, look, if these two teams meet in the playoffs, I have skepticism too. Like I said, 20, 30% chance. We can get that number later, but I think the Celtics should be the clear favorite. And I think you saw some of those reasons why. So I don't want to tell you not to be upset about watching those unfold. But I guess just where are you at in terms of specifically not whether or not they can beat that team, but what you saw last night, whether it was a good or bad indicator of 
their progress. Yeah, I, I'm different than the average fan because it was all doom and gloom on Twitter last night. It was all the Celtics is going to be a five game series. They're going to beat the Sixers in five. The Sixers are never going to get out of the second round. Same old shit. All of those things. I viewed that completely differently. And as you said, would I pick the Sixers in? We, we talked about this what two pods ago. If they played the Celtics, would we pick them in a series? No, no, we wouldn't. The, right. the chance is le- yeah. less than fifty percent. But we also said, whatever the chances, do they have a puncher's chance? Do they have better than a puncher's chance? I, I, I think they have a chance to beat that team. And there are things they can exploit. The main thing I said is, what if Embiid goes crazy for two weeks? We saw it. He can go crazy against that yep. team. Uh, so for me, if anything, it's a little bit of a positive performance. And I don't really... It, the, the only thing I could say is, would it have been good for their psyche maybe to just get a win against them? Maybe. Certainly for the psyche of the fan base. Yeah. But on the other hand, sometimes the best lessons are handed with losses. And I agree. ultimately, I think this they game... need to be punched in the face a little bit. I think they needed to realize they can't fuck around like that. Was that a playoff game last night, by the way? It's, no, no. No, but it, I mean, the playoff atmosphere. Playoff it felt intensity. like one. Yeah. But ultimately, are they down one nothing in a playoff They're not. Now? They're not, no. No, and the only tangible effect I could see from that game is that they're not going to get the one seed anymore. And guess what? Even if they won that game last night, I would not have come on this pod saying they're not going to get the the Celtics were going to the Sixers had had too hard of a schedule down the stretch. Uh, So, yeah, I I feel more positive than most people. That is the best team in the league. And the Sixers did not look out of place playing against them, even with all of the things that went wrong, all of the strengths that the Celtics have. That was a coin flip game yep. in which they lost. Derek, we mentioned I mentioned this. They won the free throw battle by a ton. They won the rebounding battle. And they, I think that's because of, of your point that you made last week. It's the second game all season where they've lost the uh, the rebounding battle and won, and, uh, won the game. Or uh, Sorry, they won the rebounding battle and lost the game all season. And then they lost the turnover battle. I feel okay about that. Yeah. The Celtics so, shot the shit out of it. Okay. Yeah. that that yeah, They're they a didn't. really good shooting team. The Sixers did not shoot the shit out of it, and no, they're they a really good shooting team. Yeah, so I'm not going to get hung up on... Uh, so I guess to, to close before I throw it to you here, this doesn't change how I feel about the Sixers. And if anything, I feel a little more confident about their ability to push the best teams in the league because there is nobody they're going to play that is tougher than that group. And probably nobody that's a tougher matchup too. No, I, I'm very much on your side. I came into the game, you know, 48 hours ago, I thought I would pick the Celtics in a series. And now as I'm sitting here talking after the game, I think I'd pick the Celtics in a series. None of that changed, but that was true coming into the game. If I just look at what happened in that game, I feel more confident about the Sixers' chances to compete. And look, they still need to execute down a stretch to, to win those games. Up until the last 30 seconds, they executed pretty darn well in the last six minutes. Like They came back from, a, like you said, a 10-point deficit. I... Coin flip games are exceptionally tough to watch, especially when the coin doesn't flip in your favor. But I saw a team that had the effort level, except the third quarter part, and the talent where I think Boston, as good as they are, and they should feel confident in a series against the Sixers, 
I think the Sixers showed them enough where they would say, all right, we have we have some things we have to clean up here. I think they come away from that game going, we have to clean this up. We have to figure this out if we meet in the playoffs because that team can be scary. And I think that's a, I think the Sixers are a real good team. It's just Boston's the best. I I feel good about the Sixers. And I, I guess this is just where we diverge from fans and that, man, I I just think it's hard when you, you watch that game and your first thought is second round loss. Yeah. I don't know. We're like, we'll never can beat you en- this team in the playoffs. Can you enjoy the ride a little bit more yeah. than that? I You had two of the best games in years in the span of three days. That's pretty fucking fun basketball, man. That's some pretty You've, fun. One of the best five teams in the NBA. It's pre- some pretty fun high-level basketball being fueled by one of the best players in franchise history. I agree. I think. I think at this point, some of the day-to-day excitement is being lost because of the doom and gloom which i fully admit like we're not blameless in this either because we so much of our coverage and our podcast and our writing is about what does it mean for the playoffs i think this was a week where you take a step back and go man this is pretty incredible pretty incredible and i think it's a week that if you look at this tough stretch coming up now look there are going to be games that they probably just punt because they're they're sitting guys and they're tired and things like that I, that is the type of game that makes me more excited about this stretch. They're, yeah. they're playing really fun, good games against these awesome teams. And, you know, yeah, they're probably going to be a three seed. They're probably going to have to win a game in Boston to do the ultimate goal and win the NBA Finals. But that's a couple months away. I don't know. I, I, I get it. I, I don't. I, the Sixers have hurt this team a lot. Over yep. the years, but frankly, that loss was different than how they have hurt them. I, I, I do, I really do think so. Like, I, I that was not Boston breaking the Sixers' will. That was them getting a little lucky with the shooting and it breaking their way. Not which the Sixers, it happens to them too. You could argue that's what the Memphis game was the other night. But the Sixers did a lot of positive things in that game, and I, I don't know. I, I, I just see Boston as just a really complete, awesome team. And to play them hard and make them actually think about some things, that's pretty good to me. If they play that exact game, let's say, you know, they play the Suns in a couple weeks here, in March 25th. Kevin Durant should be back by then. I think he's targeting a March 1st return or something in early March. If they play that exact game against Kevin Durant and the Phoenix Suns and lose in that exact same way, you probably walk away and you go, wow, that was a really incredible game. They can play with anyone in the league. But because it's Boston, because there's so much shared history, because Boston has knocked them out twice here in the playoffs, it colors how we view that game, how we view that loss, how we view their chances. That was a game where both teams gave the other team something to worry about. And I do think it should, and again, react however you want. Like part of fan, part of the reason why you and I have jobs, part of the reason why people subscribe to The Athletic or The Daily Six is because they're living, eating, breathing, and dying with every minute of the team. That's fair. And when you do that, like you're going to react harshly. So it's, it's, I don't want to tell you not to be upset, but I do think there was some good takeaways from that game for sure. For sure. And people who have listened to us over the years, were the negative people because when the Sixers win in uninspiring fashion or, it's clear they're deficient in some areas. We are the first people to point that out and say, it's not good enough. When they play bad basketball, we are like fans where right. 
we get annoyed by it. You can be annoyed by bad basketball. It leads to a win and you can be encouraged by good basketball that maybe doesn't turn out in your favor. It's almost like you should worry about the process of the game as well as the results. And I get it as from a fan they're they're more worried about the results, but I'm just saying from, from our perspective, the people who will hammer the Sixers more than anybody. I walked away from that game last night, slightly more excited about their chances in the playoffs, slightly more excited that we're going to see some really tough, Fun games, but yeah, getting out of the East is going to be hard. Yeah, it's it's yep. hard. Those teams, I think the Bucks and the Celtics are the two best teams in the league. So if you get by them, it's legendary shit. High but stakes have a chance. Is stressful yeah. as fuck. It's stressful as fuck. I think we learned that last night. All right, I think That's that all. is probably just about all that I have. We'll have a another one here before another one here on Monday before the Sixers start that road heavy portion of the schedule. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we'll talk to you soon. See you, man. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com.